Welcome into the Hoopsville Preseason Podcast. This is episode three of what was scheduled to be four. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, and we hope you've been enjoying these in the couple of weeks leading up to the start of the 2016-2017 Division Three basketball season, and with it, the 15th season debut of Hoopsville. We will officially get our season underway on Thursday, November 16th, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, live with the video version, as we have done for about... Uh, almost nine years maybe i've lost track of when we actually went to video i know when we created the studio we will be in this studio for our ninth season thanks to the nabc and now the wbca as well so in the previous two podcasts we talked about the changes coming to the refereeing across the country with a new national coordinator on both the men's and women's side we talked to the men's coordinator jim haney we will talk to the women's coordinator at a future time in the second podcast, talked about the big changes and those coming back to Division Three as one departs. Former WashU head coach Nancy Fay was our guest, and then we talked to Randy Henderson, who's taking over for her, and we talked to Mark Scher, who's returning to the CCIW after a four-year absence, taking over the Milliken squad. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit more of the young guns, the guys who are younger in the coaching ranks but have had a lot of assistant coaching experience, been around the systems for quite a bit of time. At this point in my career, I'm starting to talk to guys who are head coaches of programs who I remember calling games as they were players, and that will certainly be the case um, here today. We will talk to Chris McHugh, who has been the longtime assistant at Emory, who's now taking over for Washington and Lee. We will then talk to Kevin Hopkins, who's been the longtime assistant at Amherst, obviously played at Amherst prior to that, if you know the Amherst program, and is now taken over at Muhlenberg. And then we'll talk to Tyler Sanborn. Tyler Sanborn, a two-time All-American when he played at Guilford, took them to two Final Fours. He has taken over for a Ferrum program where Coach Tharp stepped down. So we will talk to those three individuals coming up in today's podcast. It gives us a chance to understand how those jobs came about, the tr the trials and tribulations of getting those jobs. In the case of McHugh and Hopkins, two gentlemen who, if you follow who's who and who's in the mix for a lot of openings in college basketball head coaching jobs, at least on the eastern side of the United States, those two gentlemen were the finalists for almost every job that came up in the last two years, they were in the mix. If one of them, if both of them weren't, one of them certainly was. So we'll talk to them about those and whether those are challenges and whatnot. And then, of course, talk to all three of them about where they are going with their programs, what they foresee with their programs, etc. So that's all coming up in today's podcast. Uh, if you ever want to interact with us, you can always do so on Twitter at D3 Hoopsville. Uh, you can always use the hashtag Hoopsville. We're also on Instagram, same way, at D3 Hoopsville. Of course, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash hoopsville. You can always email the show if you want, hoopsville at d3hoops.com as well. And again, a reminder, coming up on November 16th, we will be back on the air in our official capacity with the season debut with about eight or so shows before the Christmas holiday. And then, of course, in January, we are in full, full swing, as it were, without any distractions from other sports or other holidays to keep us from being on the air for the rest of the season. So with that in mind, let's get things going. And again, we, as I said earlier, we'll start with Chris McHugh. It's kind of nice to have a, a fellow name in the conversation. But Chris McHugh has been the assistant coach at Emory for a number of years under Jason Zimmerman. Actually got promoted to associate head coach this past March. He's been in the mix for a lot of jobs. He entered the mix for the WNL job, which was a very sought-after job at Washington and Lee after Hutchinson stepped down. So what does it mean to take over the Washington and Lee position, especially when you're an alum of the program? We talked to Chris about that. Now joining me on the Hoopsville Hotline, the other McHugh in Division Three, because I only know of him and myself. It is Chris McHugh joining us from Washington and Lee, head coach in his first season. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, again, hired as the Washington and Lee head coach, your alma mater, graduate of 09. The opportunity, I guess, that finally came in some degree. We'll talk about that more. But what's it mean to be able to take over the Generals program, a program that you obviously had a, a integral part in when you were a player? Sure. Thanks, Dave. It's, uh, it's been pretty amazing, pretty surreal process, uh, obviously, 
you know, a lot of a large reason why I decided to get into coaching uh, Division Three men's basketball is because I enjoyed my experience at Washington and Lee so much as a student athlete. Um, and the relationships that I built here with my teammates and folks on campus and the experience of being part of, part of the team and going through adversity and, and the highs and lows of being part, a part of college basketball, um, that really inspired me to get into coaching. Um, and so to come back and get to do it at a place where, uh, you know, you've, you've spent so much time and built those relationships and given so much of yourself to the program as a player, uh, it's truly an honor. I'm really humbled to, to be back in this position. Um, and we're off to a great start. It's been a blast so far. Um, it's been great reconnecting with some with some teammates, uh, you know, that I hadn't spoken to in a bit, and uh, getting everybody hopefully fired up about uh, moving forward with the program. and Excited for the season to come. Got to be a little surreal too, because you're taking over for Adam Hutchinson, who was there since 2003-04 season, which means he recruited you. You co- He was your coach. He he guided you along the way, and then obviously helped you. I assume out into the coaching world. Now he has left. He's now the assistant up at Amherst. Uh, and you take over for his program. That's got to be a little bit on the surreal side. It certainly is. Uh, you know, just the change from being, uh, you know, walking into practice with your your practice gear on versus your, your coaching gear is uh, is different, but, but no less fun. Yes. Uh, it certainly is. I love my time playing for, for Adam Hutchinson. He's a great coach. Uh, and I knew when, you know, taking over the job, I knew I'd be inheriting a team that was very well coached and had a really good base of fundamentals and understanding of the game. And uh, that's certainly been the case so far. And, you know, Hutch has obviously meant a lot to me, uh, you know, as a mentor when I was a player and then helping me through, uh, you know, me navigating the coaching world as someone who's always uh, uh, an ear for me to talk to and uh, and certainly helped guide me in, uh, in my pursuit of trying to become a head coach. And uh, Hutch has been great. And like I said, it's been a great honor to, to take over uh, and try and move the program forward. You've had a few coaching stops assistant-wise <clears throat> along the way, excuse me. And uh, the last one, though, maybe everyone is familiar with is Emery, um, working with Jason Zimmerman down there. And obviously that was very successful. Emery, with you at the at the assistant position, really came on in the UAA and nationally and made your presence known. And I think a lot of people will look to that and say, well, Jason certainly is a tremendous coach, but he's got a really good assistant coach in yourself. But tell us a little bit about that dynamic. You guys seem to really work well as a core, and Emery really seemed to benefit. Sure, no doubt. Uh, obviously, Jason Zimmerman and Emery's program, their uh, achievements speak to themselves. But, uh, you know, when I, when I came to Emery, uh, it was a little different than some of the positions I had come in in a first year and that the team had already went to one NCAA tournament and had a really good group. You know, so from my perspective, when I got there, I knew that, you know, my job was to just see where I could add some value to the program. Um, <clears throat> you know, Jason runs such a such a great program, and there were so many good players already. And so, you know, I wanted to come in and just see where I could uh, find my niche and add to, the, you know, the success that had already been had. And I was very fortunate coming from Emory that I had uh, a year to work with Tom Satran at Connecticut College, who's a great coach mm-hmm. who I learned so much from. And then uh, before that, three years with Ryan Kadlebowski at Mount St. Mary College, who also actually happened to be my assistant coach when I was at when mm-hmm. I was a player at Washington Elite. So getting to work for those guys beforehand, coming in with some experience, and they, and they were great in just trusting me uh, and being able to be really hands-on and involved in practice and scouting and recruiting. You know, So when I came to Emory, I felt like uh, you know, I had a good base of experience and, and the wealth of knowledge that I could bring from the mentors that I already learned from. And, and then obviously working for Jason, just uh, getting to see what it's like to work for a program that's nationally competitive, that's, uh, like you said, making the NCAA tournament and uh, obviously learning from a great coach in him. And uh, you know, I've been really blessed and fortunate starting from so for playing from Hutch to, to, to each boss I've worked for. I've gotten to learn so much, and uh, you know it's been a great ride. You should point out your uh, loyalty slash um, abilities were rewarded by Jason naming you associate head coach back in March. Um, the, the last year or two, really two years, if not longer, your name, though, uh, has uh, appeared, as it were, many a time as a finalist for a job. To be honest with you, I even thought maybe I was up for a job I wasn't aware of. The amount of times I saw McHugh listed in somebody's thing or McHugh entered in my head or a text message from somebody. You and Kevin Hopkins, who, who we're talking to on this podcast as well. Really, you, you really had a lot of opportunities, which means you may be on more Division three campuses than I've been on. Uh, maybe even Pat Coleman, for all I know. 
Um, but at the same time, that's got to be a little bit frustrating because you seriously were on so many finalist lists and it never seemed to happen. And I think before you got the WNL job, I, I can't remember being seeing you on three or four in the in the previous weeks. How did you keep your um, wits about you, as it were, and, and keep yourself motivated? You know, seeing campuses is nice and all, but it, at some point you got to start wondering in the back of your head, is this trip even worth it? Sure. No, uh, absolutely. You know, I, I think the first thing that you have to accept when you're uh, getting into the coaching industry is that it's super competitive. Um, there's just so many dynamic and smart uh, coaches, and there's only a limited number of schools and positions. Uh, and, you know, that creates just a competitive environment. Every time you're going into an interview, uh, there's going to be three or four, if not more, other folks who are really gifted and really smart and uh, really know the game. So um, you just have to embrace the fact that it's competitive. You know, for me, uh, from my standpoint, um, I looked at it much like I, I was at Emory. Uh, I was very fortunate and blessed to be working for, for Jason at Emory, working with great players in the program. You know, so I felt like even if I didn't go in and, you know, the, the interview didn't go my way, I was still in a great position. And so, so that you know, I'm, I'm – I'm, sort of negotiating from a point of strength in that I feel like I'm at a really good place. I know uh, I'm learning and uh, I'm with a really successful program that does it the right way on and off the court. Um, so I felt really good about that. And then I think just uh, for me, uh, I use it as experience. So with each interview, I tried to take something that I thought I did well or I could do a little bit better the next time. Uh, and for me, I'm, I'm really fortunate and blessed. I'm, I'm thrilled the way it worked out. You know, there were some great uh, spots that I was in the mix for, but to end up at my alma mater, as uh, a dream job in one of the best academic schools in the country and a, a place that means so much to me, it couldn't have worked out better. And I would just urge anybody else that goes through that process of interviewing to just kind of stick with it and keep learning and keep putting yourself out there. And, uh, you know, you learn from sort of the defeat of not getting an interview and you can do better the next time. So, um, but, you know, for me, I'm, I'm really blessed that it worked out really well. Was there any job, and I don't mean this in a, in a morbid way, and obviously you're at WNL and you're at the in your alma mater. That's the, the cream of the cream sometimes in many coaches' eyes. But um, was there any job in hindsight and looking back, uh, which obviously would have changed a lot, that you looked at and went, oh, you know what, that's the job I'd love to have and you just missed out on? Was there one or two of those that really you thought, you know, that was the job you wanted? Obviously, again, it's hindsight, and again, you're at WNL. This is not a knock on anybody. I'm just curious if there was one or two out there that you're like, yeah, that's the one I want. Sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily get into specifics, but I do think, you know, I, you know uh, in, in every job I applied for, I never did it for just going through the process, right? For mm -hmm. every for mm -hmm. every position I interviewed for, I was saying, okay, I can imagine myself working here, and then you go you go on campus and you get to meet the athletic director and you get to meet especially the players and the team at each spot. And you get, you know, you get emotionally tied to it. I'll say, wow, this is, I could see myself here and what a thrill it would be to work here. But again, like I said, you know, I think things happen for a reason. And for me, my process was uh, being involved in a lot of interviews and learning from it and being close. And then eventually uh, the timing worked out and, uh, you know, like I said, I was at a great spot and learned from some great folks, and that, that helped put me in a position um, and coach some great players that helped put me in a position to be up for these jobs. And then, like I said, it worked out really well that uh, the timing, uh, I had some experience under my belt, uh, and I had some experience interviewing, and, and my alma mater, the position opened up, and uh, couldn't have worked out better. But uh, obviously, there's just there's so many great and special colleges and universities at our level. Um, but I'm, I'm proud to be back back home. Yeah, I think we really would have wished what you'd name the two schools. But that's okay. Um, we'll work on that in the future. No, I'm totally kidding. But let's slide back over to WNL now. The last time, to be blunt, the WL was really in the conversation necessarily, significantly above 500, was during your heyday. Um, you, your team was uh, 16 and 13. Um, your graduating year, 17 and 10 the following year, and then it dropped off precipitately since then. A lot of that has to do with what you can, what kind of talent you can get at the institution, who's interested in your institution, et cetera. I, I, there's a famous guard who played at Amherst who I told was in the mix at WNL and it went Amherst's way. But how do you change things? How do you turn the generals in the direction of when you were playing to be a little bit more competitive, to be in the conversation, not only in the ODAC, which is tough enough, but nationally as well? Or is there a different goal maybe that, I mean, it is Division Three. Is there a different goal in mind? I say that no, I knowing that WNL Athletics has always had a very high standard. 
sure, absolutely. You see the excellence on our campus, whether it's the academics or uh, you know the alumni or the beauty of our campus, and then you see our other athletic programs. And uh, you know we want to aspire to that level of uh, being nationally competitive. You know I, what I think it comes down to, Dave, is is really just development, um, developing you know the individuals and the student athletes in our program now, uh, so they they can be the best players on the court, people off the court, students in the classroom that they can be. Developing our team culture so that we have a you know a culture of hard work and selflessness where we're coming in every day and we're competing uh, and we're focusing on improvement right where we're you know one day to the next we're hoping to be a better team than we were the previous day and I think if we can focus on development I think that uh, you know we can continue to build and and and, and be competitive um, and and then you know the process after that is then. Uh, like you, you spoke to, is then attracting more dynamic student-athletes to our program and recruiting. And then once they uh, choose to be part of our general's basketball family, then, again, we're developing them. And what we're hoping is that from October to February, they become better players and we become a better team. And then from year one as a freshman to year four as a senior, uh, we're developing guys so that they're uh, improving on and off the court. And uh, I think if you focus on that, you, you focus on the day-to-day process of it, the winning is a byproduct, and that'll take care of itself. Obviously, we know the challenge is great. We're uh, we have a really good non-conference schedule, and then obviously we're we're right into the ODAC, uh, which you know the, the the level of play there speaks for itself. And the, the great coaches and programs and players in the ODAC will always be a challenge, but we want to embrace that challenge. If we're not shy away from it. We're looking forward to to competing against some really good teams and seeing where we stack up. When you look at this squad quickly, we see three of the four top scorers return this season. You've got three seniors on what I would argue outside of that is a young squad. Um, what do you have for expectations this season? Yeah, I, I wouldn't put a number on the expectation level, but I do think, uh, like I said, I know that uh, you know from day one I've inherited a well-coached group, and I think we do have talent. I think uh, we have some really good players in the program. Uh, you know, Our senior class has led the way, Clayton Mercer. Uh, you know, he's a two-time first-team All-Odac player already, so his accomplishments speak for themselves. But Mike Hagar and Nick George rounding out the senior class, they've been really good setting the standard for uh, work ethic and competitiveness and practice every day. Uh, and then in our junior class, I think we have a really balanced and dynamic group. We have uh, Roy McMillan, who's kind of a do-it-all player for us, a very complete player. Alex Starr, who's uh, kind of a combo guard, shot maker. Uh, he's, a, he's a real leader for our team. He's the other captain, along with Clayton Murtha. Him and Alex, and then uh, Devin Curran's our point guard. He can really push tempo and get shots for guys. So, you know, I think the junior and senior class have done a really good job of setting the standard for things. So, you know, again, we're we're focused on uh, kind of combining our collective talents as a group and hoping to overachieve. You know, overachieve. So, you know, if we're doing that, uh, like I said, the winning will take care of itself. We're we're competing for an ODAC championship. That's what we want to do. We want to uh, we want to attack our non-conference schedule. We have some great opponents lined up and then get us ready for that ODAC uh, run in, in January and February. Um, and we're, we're trying to compete for an ODAC championship. We're going to set the bar high. Um, we know that it's competitive, uh, but that's our goal. And, uh, you know, I think if we keep doing the right things and keep getting better day by day, uh, we'll have a shot to compete. Well, good good luck, for, especially this season, but on the long term at WNL, obviously the alma mater. I know you're proud to be there. Um, congratulations on getting what I think was a, a pretty – uh, tough job to get. There are a lot of really good names in the mix. Um, as always, uh, and by the way, I should say thank you formally for coming on the show. As always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, thanks a lot, Dave. We really appreciate you having on. We're, we're really excited for the season and uh, really just want to thank you and your staff for all you do to, to help support and promote our game. Uh, we're looking forward to another great year at D3 Hoops. Well, wonderful. Thank you for the kind words. Good luck this season. We'll look forward to catching up with you down the road. Thanks, Dave. He is Chris McHugh. He's joined us on the Hoopsville Hotline, the head coach for Washington and Lee taking over his alma mater. Once again, thanks to Chris McHugh for joining us and talking about getting the job at Washington and Lee. It was a position that was certainly highly sought after. From what I was told, McHugh was one of four finalists, along with another Amherst an assistant, not Hopkins in this case, for obvious reasons. It was JDI. Um, also, Landry Kalsmowski at Swarthmore and Tom Palumbo, at Guilford, which may have turned some people's eyes. From what I'm told behind the scenes at Guilford, Tom knew what was coming, which was that he was going to be, for lack of a better description, stripped of his athletics director title only to be the head coach. There's a lot more going on that we aren't going to go into now, but that Tom may have been looking to move on from Guilford as a result of that and before that decision was officially made. 
from everything I've gathered, Tom may have been one of the front runners for the job, that, that he may have been Washington Lee's head coach, if not for, I think, a couple factors. One, that McHugh had not found another head coaching job. He had been in the mix all all offseason for a number of jobs. Um, and so I think if if he had found another job, maybe Palumbo's the shoe in. The other thing I think is is that Landry Kalsmoski also changed the equation there just a little bit. I know Kalsmoski was, I've been told at least, he he was able to turn that into a better opportunity at Swarthmore where he, where he remains. But for McHugh, I think it's a logical choice. An alum, someone who knows the school, knows the program, certainly knows recruiting, knows recruiting on a larger scale, which WNL to some degree would it feels they're more of a UAA school than any other kind, even though they're not in a UAA conference. Having the experience of coaching at a UAA school and being successful as an assistant coach, McHugh checks off a lot of boxes there, so it certainly made a lot of sense for WNL. Let's switch gears and talk about the other longtime uh, assistant coach who certainly was in a lot of conversations in the last couple of years, and that is Kevin Hopkins and Amherst. Kevin finally got his head coaching opportunity after many a finalist list that included his name. Probably not surprisingly, we talked to Kevin more about getting the job at Muhlenberg. Now joining me on the Hoopsville Hotline, it's the new head coach at Muhlenberg. It is Kevin Hopkins, former assistant at Amherst. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. Thanks, Dave. Really happy to be here. Um, actually, pretty excited. Funny how things come full circle for me. I actually did a Hoopsville podcast <laughs> um, back when I was a player for Amherst down at the Final Four. Yeah. Um, we were making a run at the national championship. And uh, oddly enough, we were playing uh, the College of Worcester, <laughs> who head coach Steve Moore there Yeah. Um, was actually head coach back at Muhlenberg. Yeah, it's uh, true. Back in the day, and so now it's cool to be here yeah. as the head coach at Muhlenberg. And, of course, my little geeky side, of course, you're also in a conference with the Johns Hopkins, um, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, I've made that mistake a few times, making just a generic Hopkins reference. People go, who are you talking about? Oh, yeah, I can't make that reference in the conference anymore without confusing some people. So uh, welcome to the Centennial. Welcome to your first head coaching job. Very cool that we're making that full circle. Thanks for the connection on that. Um mm-hmm. This is, I mean, for you, I know it's maybe a little bit of relief. You finally got your first head coaching job. But more importantly, you have gotten your first head coaching job. Uh, for a lot of people, this is a long-time pursuit that may never happen or happens pretty late. You're getting it at a bit of a young age. Yeah, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, I was in the mix for a few different head coaching jobs throughout the years um, and didn't end up getting those ones. Big picture, uh, sitting here at Muhlenberg today looking backwards, I'm pretty grateful that things worked out the way they did. I think Muhlenberg is a great fit both academic-wise and athletically with the basketball playing in the Centennial Conference. Um, You know, a very competitive league, Mm -hmm. one of the top leagues in the country, in my opinion. Yeah, and and, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but almost some similarities to the NESCAC in many ways. Um, The two conferences are maybe not directly put together, but we'll talk about that in a bit. One of the things that I know we talked with with Chris McHugh about um, at WNL from his days at Emory and then getting that WNL job and similar similar to you is I saw your name in the mix a lot. Your name was a finalist for a lot of jobs um, last year, this year. Um, I I can imagine that's got some frustrations to it. It's also nice that you are in the mix that often. It, it's a it's it shows that you're 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 there if that makes any sense. But mm. at the same time, I don't know how many times I talked to your head coach at, at Amherst, Dave Hickson, about going. Is Kevin going to this job or is Kevin not going? How many times are we going to talk you and I about your assistant coach? Was it getting frustrating for you? Uh, not at all. And I okay. think really the fact that I was in the mix that many times, um, and you know Matt Goldsmith 
was an assistant at, mm-hmm. uh, for Coach Hickson. Um, kind of a testament to Coach Hickson, the kind of program sure. he, he runs. He's had a lot of assistants go on to do a lot of different things, um, including the current GM of the Cleveland Cavs, yeah. Kobe Altman. He was an assistant there. Um, a couple other guys working in Division Three were assistant coaches. Uh, there's Connor Johnson played for him, works for the Sixers in the in the video room. Glenn Wong's working for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, um, you know, that's kind of a testament to the program that Coach Hickson has built there at Amherst mm-hmm. and the quality of people that he surrounds himself with. So um, it may have been frustrating, you know, whenever you go after a job, you want to have the option of whether or not you're going to take it. Um, but like I said before, long-term, I think things worked out for the best. I think Muhlenberg's the best fit for me, um, based off of coming from Amherst compared to some of the other jobs I was in the running for. I should have prepared better before this. I remember there was one job specifically I'd heard who the finalists were. I'm like, okay. And then somebody a couple days later goes to me, Hey, they've added Hopkins to the mix. And and my first reaction wasn't, Oh, that's strange. My first reaction was, well, of course they did. Of course, mm-hmm. of course, Kevin's going to be added to the mix here. He's on every other buddy's watch list. Um, by the way, the, the name dropping you just did, future Hoopsville Marathon segment. I think we're going to spend an hour just talking to the Hickson uh, tree. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> unbelievable the it guys is. that he has out there, um, whether it's in basketball or doing other stuff. Yeah. The, the people that he's surrounded himself with are, are unbelievable. If you, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here. But was there ever a time, at least in those mixes, in those finalist lists, that you did get offered a job or two that you couldn't take for whatever reason? Did you at least have that call, or was Muhlenberg your first call? Uh, Muhlenberg was the first one. Okay. Curious what that was like when you finally got it. Uh, it was funny story, actually, kind of a long story. Um, the interview process was pretty crazy. I ended up switching a flight back from the Final Four. Um, and so I flew back, interviewed on campus, had to get a rental car and go back, drive back to Hartford to get my car to go back up to Amherst. <laughs> and uh, a couple of days later, the AD called me up and, and asked me how the drive back was. And I said the rental car went fine. It was, it was better than my Jeep Wrangler on the highway. And uh, he said he used to have a Wrangler. And then he asked me, you know, he said, I really want to see that Wrangler parked out front every day. How do you feel about being the head coach? Oh, wow. Um, so kind of a cool way to be offered the job. That is a cool way. Um, Muhlenberg's an interesting school. It's an interesting program. Scott McClary had high hopes. I talked to Scott often about him. He struggled for whatever reason. I could, I, I'm not the first to be able to tell you what it was. Muhlenberg is in the centennial, and by definitions, by looking at the women's program, should be competitive. What do you hope to do? Maybe not right out of the gate, but as this progresses to move Muhlenberg towards maybe a higher plateau. Our biggest thing that we've been working on this offseason has just been, um, you know, improving our work ethic and working on our communication with each other um, and kind of focusing on the, the culture side of things more so than the X's and O's. I think that stuff will come. Um, but I think the other little details are the stuff that really make the difference in a successful program. Um, and so there's no, there's no major changes we're making. It's a lot of little things. I was pretty lucky. I inherited, um, some really good kids from coach McClary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we have a lot of guys that are bought into working hard and investing in some new ideas and trying some new things that we're doing and guys are really on board with it. And they're all really good kids off the court. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been fortunate in, in that respect. And then, you know, we have some talented guys and some and some good pieces, and now it's just a matter of trying to make them all fit together. Don't want to dwell on this, but one of the weird things about McClary's departure and your hiring and everything in between is is this is a lot of talk, let's say, from different parties about whether McClary leaving was a smart thing, whether your hiring was a good thing, who they really wanted to have on board, whether McClary should have said. It was fascinating for a school that hasn't been as much in the national conversation on the men's side as maybe some others where I would totally understand this back and forth. How has been, how's the reception been for you though? The reception for me has been unbelievable. Um, you know, the alumni have been really excited. The other members of the athletic department have been great so far. Um, everyone's been very welcoming and accommodating. We actually had a, uh, inter-squad scrimmage a couple weekends ago and we had 
uh, faculty liaison was coaching one team, and cool. we had the president of the school, President Williams, coaching our other team. <laughs> oh, sweet. Um, and so th- the welcoming that I've gotten from the Muhlenberg community has been unbelievable. And I should say the two alums I know the closest, um, one is certainly excited that you're there. The other one's at least happy that they got a good hire. I, I you know, so that's I'm not basing that on anything. It was just fascinating mm-hmm. in the off season, and I think you and I kind of off uh, several months ago kind of touched on it. But when you now look forward to what you've got ahead of you, you've got an interesting conference. Franklin and Marshall's been at the top, but not consistent. Hopkins kind of reemerged, but they went through a new coaching change themselves. Um, Ursina seems to be coming back to the, to the fray. Swarthmore has really shown a lot um, in, in developing into a, a quality program, maybe for the long run. What do you, where do you see yourselves fitting in in the short run, and, and what are your, your dreams for the long run? Uh, our, our plan for, for our season is just kind of focus on the things that we can control and try and get better and play our best basketball at the end of the year, you know, it's hard with younger kids. Sometimes they want to see the immediate results um, of, you know, a new coach with a new system. And they think things are going to change overnight and trying to keep that long-term perspective. Um, They just came out with the preseason voting Mm -hmm. and they've got us at eighth in the conference. So um, obviously we got some work ahead of us that we need to do if we're going to try and get up there and start competing with those schools that you talked about, like Hopkins and Ursinus and Dickinson. Um, obviously, Franklin and Marshall, Coach Robinson's got his name down on the court and won 900-plus <laughs> games. Yeah. Um, and, and the stuff Landry's doing at Swarthmore is, is unbelievable. And so, you know, it's, it's a tough conference. We're going to have our hands full every night. And, you know, I think it'll be fun. It'll be a little bit of an adjustment from the NESCAC where you're only playing each other once, sure. except for, you know, the little three challenge, obviously, right. you're getting those guys twice. But now we're playing everybody in the league twice. And so I think that'll be fun for us of seeing how we adjust and and can make changes from first game to second game when we see people. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the way everybody else does it in the conference schedules, playing people mm-hmm. more than once. Just just wanted to point that out. <laughs> the, the NESCAC conundrum outside of the NESCAC, everybody gets frustrated about. Um, but at the same time, it's the way NESCAC does things, and it's certainly resulted in some fascinating things. Speaking of the NESCAC, your assistant coach has a little bit of NESCAC experience himself. You, you've you've, uh, you've got a you you're kind of going uh, across the lines a little bit, bringing in your assistant coach. Yeah. So I, originally, I had hired a, a different assistant, yeah. um, Connor Smith, who had worked for Mike Raniac, who yep. had New coached Pulse. me back at Amherst, and then yeah, he got offered a more full time position at Allegheny, so I had to go do another search. And uh, luckily for me, Jake Brown from Middlebury, second time around, decided to apply. Uh, during the first search, he still had aspirations of continuing his playing career. Second <laughs> time around, he had decided he wanted to coach. Oh, good for him. Um, and actually, when he was down here interviewing, I caught some some grief from other people in the <laughs> athletic department. Said, "Oh, you're just gonna you're just gonna hire an SCAT guy." <laughs> of course uh, they did. Yeah. To which my response was probably yeah. Um, <laughs> to the, the caliber of player that Jake was. Yeah. Um, you know, having the Middlebury education and background, his uncle being the coach there, obviously, um, all the pieces kind of fit together. And, and Jake's done a really good job for us so far. He's been unbelievable with the recruiting stuff. He's picked it up right away. Um, you know, he got down here and a couple of days later was already scheduling kids to come visit campus and was on the phone talking oh, wow. to kids, texting kids. So he's been unbelievable for us so far. And he's he's the right age where he's still young enough that our guys really connected with him pretty quickly. Um, even when he was interviewing, they were sitting around at lunch and having conversation. They kind of walked away from it saying, you know, I learned something about my teammates that, I, that I've known them for three years and never knew about them because hmm. of Coach Brown's influence on the oh. uh, interaction and conversation. So That's it's great. been great having him around. I feel really fortunate to have such a good 
um, young guy helping me out in my well, first year here. And again, coming from a great coaching tree, you talk about Brown at Middlebury. I mean, his uncle, as you pointed out. So he's the the wealth of knowledge. I'm sure he's gained in his years at at Middlebury. It makes him uh, a pretty good candidate. Should also point out, you got a chance to go to China to teach some basketball as well uh, this off season, um, and and plenty of other things. You you kept yourself busy, and it looks like you really got your feet kind of jumped in with with both in the Muhlenberg. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on the road recruiting a lot of different places this summer, and that was kind of the main focus. I actually, we were scheduled to have a couple weeks of kids camp and ended up canceling that so we could kind of focus on the recruiting, and then it worked out. Um, I had a buddy that worked for, unfortunately, I guess, Adidas of all the schools yeah, with all that ir- stuff going on. Should we um, watch for your name there, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Um but it was great. I had a chance to go over to China and do a couple of different camps over there, and it, it was a great experience to uh, the first camp. Mm. Great group of guys that I was working with. Um, learned a lot from them. Learned a lot about coaching. One of the one of the great things about the trip was, you know, there was a bit of a language barrier, and mm-hmm. we had we had to use interpreters to do our teaching, and so you really had to focus on using simple language to get your point across sure. and not complicating it, not using slang terms, that kind of thing, which was yeah. a good reminder for me going to a new school with new guys, new terminology of just yeah. how important it is to keep things simple and how important the communication aspect of things is um, in the teaching part of basketball. So it was a really cool experience. And, you know, anytime you get to travel, and, and do basketball stuff is is an unbelievable thing. Sure. Well, um, speaking of which, and you kind of talk about the coaching side, what's the one thing in your playing or coaching career under uh, Dave Hickson that you learned from him that, that always seems to resonate? I'm sure you learned a lot, but is there any one in particular that seems to resonate the most? Uh, I mean, one of the biggest things is, is the importance of relationships. He's so good with people, whether it's players, alums, parents, um, and just creating buy-in and getting everybody on the same page and making sure everybody's invested and, and looking out for everybody, helping them, whether it's finding internships, whether it's writing letters of recommendation, doing all the little things um, and really caring about people. And then the other thing would just be, he's one of those guys that always is kind of asking why, like, why are we going to run this play? Why are we going to guard it this way? Why are we not going to do it that way? And so you know, really making you think about things and plan things out, and he's not a fly by the seat, fly by the seat of your pants kind of coach. He's a very methodical and thought out um, person. I think I've brought a lot of that with me to Muhlenberg. Uh, you get to come to Muhlenberg to one of the cooler gyms. I, there's something about that gym that just kind of makes me smile. Um, I don't know what it is. It, it's very cavernous to some degree, but it also feels very close to the close to home, like. Uh, close to the court feel to it. Of course, you come from Lafrac, which is another one of the icons of Division Three basketball in terms of gymnasiums. So you certainly get to keep that in the mix. And, and again, I touched on it earlier, the Centennial Conference, very much like the NESCAC, high academics um, with high aspirations in terms of athletics. In some senses, you've just changed ponds, even though they're pretty much next next to each other and very similar. Yeah, I mean, the gym here is unbelievable. Everybody that comes to visit our facilities is always very impressed when they walk in. Um, Cool gym to play in. I think it's a great gym to shoot in. Um, Hopefully we'll see that translate a little bit this year. Um, But like you said, very competitive conference, great gym, great school, good academics. Couldn't have asked for a better fit. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what you can do there, whether I see you up there or I see you down in this neck of the woods. I look forward to running into you at a game. Good luck as the season gets ready to get underway and and things progress, especially in conference play. Appreciate you taking the time. As always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? I just want to thank you for all the the hard work you put in um, to D3 Hoops and all the other contributors to D3 Hoops. I think it's great what you guys do for these student-athletes. You know, they don't get the recognition the D1 guys get sometimes. And so to be able to have a platform where people can talk about and and recognize all the hard work they're putting in day in and day out, um, you know, I think that's really great that you guys do that and really appreciate that. Um, So that's kind of my final thought. And other than that, go Mules. Very good. Thanks for taking the time, sir. Thanks for the kind words, and we'll look forward to catching up with you down the road. 
All right. Have a good one, Dave. Absolutely. Kevin Hopkins joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, head coach of Muhlenberg. Once again, thanks to Kevin Hopkins for joining us on the podcast as well. I hinted at a little bit of the consternation, as it were, that I've read online about the Muhlenberg job. Uh, Some of it, I think, is a bit blown out of proportion and maybe stirred up for no particular reason but to grind an axe. But it didn't work out with Scott McClary. I liked McClary. I thought he had a good direction going when I talked with him. It didn't work out. So be it. They move on. We move on. And Hopkins is now in charge. I think he's got a good head on his shoulders, and I think he'll be good for Muhlenberg. Hopefully, Hopefully the school can get behind him and get behind the program as much as they have with the women's program, and hopefully the two can gel and really become a really nice duo. Centennial Conference is, for lack of a better description, ripe for the taking. I think it's a very competitive conference, but I I think that the top is not nearly as dominant as either it has been or some may think it is. I think uh, they've got an opportunity here. Swarthmore is definitely a good squad. They'll be good this year. Hopkins, with a coaching change, we shall see where they go there. But they certainly came on in the last couple years of Bill Nelson's career. Glenn Robinson and Franklin and Marshall always has something up his sleeve. They're always competitive, though they're never, I think, able to get over the hump that that seems to stop them. Ursinus is resurrecting themselves, etc. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting race there. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. By the way, Hopkins referenced being on a Hoopsville podcast while in Salem, and we do remember him joining us. That was when we used to do the show at the Pine Room, which is a, a bar and lounge area in Hotel Roanoke. We used to do it for several years. We did a live show from there, and we would literally stay on the air until the teams were coming back to the hotels, and we would grab players as they came back, and Hopkins happened to be one of them. And uh, we discussed a little bit about the fact he was a sixth man who didn't start. A couple minutes into the game, he'd come in and then play a vast majority of the game after that. He and I reminisced about that a little bit off air, but if anyone wondering what that reference was, that's what it was. Okay, now let's shift gears and head back down south a little bit. We mentioned uh, another longtime assistant. I I don't think Tyler Sanborn was in the mix for as many jobs as the previous two guys were, but Tyler Sanborn certainly got a good education. Assistant coach in Hampton, Sydney, the last five years, I believe, after a stellar career at Guilford under Palumbo, and remember, even played alongside Ben Strong. I called them the twin uh, towers at one point, Strong and Sanborn, though they didn't play a lot of years together, I think it was just one, the potential, if they had, would have been insane. Tyler now takes over for the program, formerly coached by Bill Tharp at Ferrum, and what's interesting about this is he gets basically one year before this program enters the Old Dominion Athletic Conference as a new member of the ODAC. Tyler was gracious enough to sit down with us as well. Now joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline is the now head coach of the Ferrum Panthers. It is Tyler Sanborn. Tyler, welcome to Hoopsville, sir. Hey, Dave. Hope you're doing well. I I am. Can't believe the season is around the corner. I'm sure you can't believe the season is around the corner, especially now as a head coach. Yeah, uh, things are getting started around here. It's been a a good start so far. First few weeks of practice. I'm ready and excited to get to games here shortly, so. Been a, it's been a it's been a really good uh, <clears throat> first couple of weeks uh, getting the guys kind of acclimated to what we're doing and um, looking forward to finally getting started here. For those of you who may have lost track, for those of us out there who may have lost track of your career after you played, you certainly stayed involved. You ended up playing some summer league stuff. Uh, you ended up uh, being in and out of some training camps. You stayed involved, but then you got into the coaching realm. Kind of tell us what kind of worked your way into the coaching side of things. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> after graduating from Guilford, I went overseas and played for a couple of years, and that was an awesome experience for me. Um, stayed in touch with a few guys in the ODAC, a few coaches, because I knew <clears throat> that's what ultimately I would want to do. Um, one of those being Coach Vic at Hampton Sydney, and um, you know I was playing, and I had been in France for my last year that I played. Ultimately, my last year, um, and I was back home for the summer, and I actually had signed a contract to go back to Europe and play again for another season, and he had an opening on the staff and a. You know, like I said, I ultimately knew that I'd wanted to get into coaching, and I thought that might be a great opportunity. I wasn't getting rich playing overseas, and 
you know, the, the situations over there were hit or miss as far as the, the, um, the teams that I was playing for and, and the organizations. Um, so I decided to, to take a leap and, and do that, which was ended up being a great experience. So I've been there for five years as, <clears throat> as an assistant there. And, um, it was, it was very good experience for me to work with Coach Vic and a great program like Kansas Sydney. And this opportunity came available and I applied for it. And, and fortunately, uh, I was named the head coach here, which has been an awesome uh, transition for me so far. Yeah, a little strange in, in the last few years seeing you over in the Hampton Sydney sideline, especially when I'd see you up against Guilford, your alma mater, uh, where you, you did so well. But obviously, it, it was a good decision as it's gotten you this head coaching opportunity uh, following Coach Tharp, who certainly helped put Ferrum on the map. What attracted you to this particular job? Um, you know, being a head coach at this level was, was ultimately my goal. So um, I, I had been looking for opportunities, um, and then this came about. And I, I, I knew Coach Tharp for a while, and uh, he mentioned that he might be getting out of the coaching uh, realm. So uh, w- once he did that, he, he let me know that this position will be coming open, and you know, I got in touch with the athletic director and um, some, of the, some of the people here. And there's actually a vice president at Hampton Sydney that had worked here as a vice president for a while, and he really uh, sang the praises of Ferrum and the community and the athletics department as a whole. So it really intrigued me because I really trusted and respected him and um, <clears throat> got involved with the search and ultimately got it. But, you know, the things that attracted me were uh, I really feel like we can we can build something that's special here with uh, – you know, we really have a, a strong background in, in athletics. We have some great alumni. Um, the history here is, is, is awesome. And, uh, you know, the guys that uh, <clears throat> you know, that are around the program, alumni, administration, those, those type of folks are, are awesome to, you know, once I met them and got, you know, spent some time around them, um, they were really good, great people. And I really felt like that I could be successful here. It's interesting. You talk about the, the, the bedrock, as it were, you know, I almost want to question Coach Tharp on his mentality. He's got a heck, this is a, a heck of a core coming back. Four of the top leading scorers from last year's squad returned this year. Farum looks like it's a, it's got a pretty good, as you say, bedrock program here that you can build from, but almost like maybe we'll see some ex- success this season. Yeah, we returned uh, some, some of our core guys, our four top scorers, um, Josh Jamar, Josh, Josh Dudley, Rashad Reed, DeAndre Mullen, all those guys are coming back, three seniors who, uh, in uh, Grimard, Dudley, and Mullen, who I think will have tremendous years. Um, they've really kind of bought into the, our philosophy and our, and our culture here so far um, in the first few weeks. Uh, I'm excited about that. Um, I think that you know, we have an opportunity to do well. Um, I think people are kind of counting us out a little bit just because of the year that we had last year. But we lost, you know, our, our record wasn't very good, but we lost four or five games by less than five points. And, you know, <clears throat> we did some things that weren't great, like shooting from the free throw line 60%, which, you know, you're not going to win many, many games doing that. So, um, you know, I think some of the things that we're adjusting to and um, the things that are changing with, with the guys here, um, I think they've responded well. And I think we have a, a chance to have a, a good year. Obviously, you touched on it a little bit there. How hard is it, as good as this bedrock is, to come in? You're not Coach Tharp. You have your own offensive mentalities. You have your own defensive mentalities. It's not like an assistant coach under Tharp can just continue what they were doing. You're coming in with a completely different vantage point and, and perspective. How hard is it to get these guys to buy in? And obviously, we won't truly know until the season's underway how things are going, but how hard is it to get guys, especially seniors, who've been playing a certain way for a number of years to say, hey, we're changing things a little bit. We're going to do this instead of that. We're going to go there instead of here. You know, we want you to be intense in this spot and not intense in others. How hard is that to get guys to buy in? And realistically, how long does it take? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, we first and foremost, we have some, some great people on our team, and uh, that's credit to Coach Tharp. He's really recruited some people that are, you know, they they, they, they really want to do well, and, um, you know, they're, they're very coachable. Um, so, so getting them to buy in, has that hasn't really been the, the hardest part. Getting them to remember the things that they're buying into is the hardest part, um, you know, especially some of the, some of the ways that, you know, we're going to play, especially defensively. Um, it's new to them. So, uh, obviously – after being after doing things a certain way for three years, um, these seniors are, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what we're trying to do, but you know, there's, there's definitely going to be some growing pains there. Um, but you know, the guys are, are, you know, they, they, they're, they're so excited to have a, you know, a fresh look on a, a new year. And uh, really, they're really 
working hard and trying to figure out the things that we're doing. And I, I think that you know the buy-in is there. Um, it's just going to take a, it's going to take a a little while to really get everything in. And obviously, Rome wasn't built in a day, so you know we understand that, and we're working day by day, trying just trying to get better. Um, and we won't know until, like you said, the season starts really where we are. But um, you know, our aspect, our our goal each day is to come in and just try to get that one percent better and really work and try to move towards that ultimate goal of being the best team that we can be. Interestingly enough, Ferrum is going to be on its way to the ODAC. It was announced uh, right before you were announced as the head coach. Um, a lot of ODAC flair, and looking at your schedule, it's going to be ODAC-centric. Uh, you're going to be confused at the beginning of the season. You're playing Randolph-Lynchburg, Randolph-Macon, Emory and Henry, Washington and Lee in the first five games before seeing a USA South Conference game, which is the actual conference Ferrum is in. This is going to be an interesting year. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be – it's neat for me just because I've always been in the ODAC and, you know, having that schedule as a, as a, as a player than as a coach. You know, you become really familiar with um, all the other programs in the league where, uh, you know, you know the coaches, their styles, the players, and, you know, who who's ultimately the, the better players on each team and what type of offense and defense that they run. You know, going into the to USA South will be different for me. Um, we, where we have played some of those teams in the past, as you know, as I was at Hampton Sydney, but um, it's just going to be a good experience for me to kind of have to prepare and get used to those new programs. And um, I think a good experience overall, just because I'm, I'm I'm having to do something a little bit different, and I'm not in that comfort zone that I norm, normally am. So um, we, uh, you know, but like you said, uh, we're, we have an ODAC heavy schedule, especially in the I mean, obviously in the non-conference, but. It's going to be um, interesting playing those teams, and especially from a, a new vantage point. But um, I'm looking forward to the challenge. We should also point out Bridgewater uh, is at the end of December, another ODAC team. And we should point out, technically, those are all your non-conference games. Yes, Pfeiffer and, and Brevard are, are technically non-conference, but they are in conference of the USA South as a, as a transfer. So a little bit confusing there. But my point being... It's only one year. Next year, you then enter the ODAC. How much do you think your experience in the ODAC may have helped you get this job? Yeah, obviously, being coming from a, a successful program like Guilford and playing for Coach Palumbo um, and, ha- and all the success that we had there obviously helped with just being, you know, someone that's been highlighted in, in, in this process just because of that success, Final Fours and championships, obviously, um, and, and, and knowing what it takes to get to that point. Uh, I think that really helped in, in, in the hiring process. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be obviously a huge change for us here because, uh, stylistically we we're, we're kind of geared towards the USA South. Um, so going into the ODAC, we're going to have to, you know, get a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical inside and, uh, obviously keep the same, try to keep the same athleticism. But the ODAC is, is, is a conference is just, um, you know, typically going to be a little bit, a little bit bigger, a little bit more skilled than what we we are um, in the USA South. So I think that um, you know the recruiting side of it is going to be huge for us. So this year we're going to lose three seniors that are going to have a big part of it, and we're going to have to replenish that and and, and then some. Um, going to the you know the ODAC from top to bottom is really really strong. So it's going to have to we're going to take a lot of maybe bumps in the road early on, but I think that um, once we get our foothold, we'll be we'll be just fine. Of course, interestingly enough. Um... The ODAC may be the most diverse conference in the country in terms of styles of play, uh, but you're right. There are certain aspects of the ODAC that are a little bit different than the USA South, and that transition will be fascinating. Uh, kind of left this one out to the end. I'm kind of curious, what's it like now to take over a program and at such a quote-unquote young age? We're about seven years removed from when you graduated um, from Guilford. I don't want to say that you're young in the sense that you certainly don't have a basketball experience. You have tons. But you're one of those younger hires, as we're kind of talking about on this podcast. What's it like to now take over this program um, with a with a lot still ahead of you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously very exciting. Um, I knew that this was something that I obviously wanted to do, and, and and getting an opportunity like this at such a young age is is great. Um, I think you know the guys on our team and our program they really enjoy it just because I'm, I'm, I think I'm more relatable maybe than than, than Coach Tharp or guys in the past have been. Um, you know, I still listen to some of the same music they listen to, and you know, <laughs> I, you know, they come in the office and we can have good conversations about life, and I think they enjoy that. And 
our practices are up tempo and, and, and fun to be in. Obviously, they're they're very difficult and, and, and strenuous, but our guys have really adapted well to me, and uh, that's been the, the best the best thing about this so far. Um, just being around the players and and, and, and getting to know them, but um, just just having this opportunity at such a young age is is, is good. Um, obviously, that you know I, I got a long way to go as a head coach. Um, a lot there's going to be a lot of learning, um, and I don't know everything, and I just got to you know remain humble and, and and obviously just keep working and get better every single day of what I do. So I'm excited about it. If you uh, forgive us a moment of of um, reminiscing, as it were, what's your favorite memory? from your college days of, of playing at Guilford? Man, that's tough. Um, there's so many. Uh, you know, uh, just the overall success was, was great, obviously. But then, you know, making the Final Fours, were, those, those were great years and being around those guys. And I remember one thing that one of our assistant coaches said, like during like, our first meeting as a, as a player, he said, look to your left, look to your right. You know, these guys, these are the guys that are going to be in your wedding. These are the guys that are, you're going to be in their wedding and all that. And, and it's become true. So, uh, you know, playing, having those memories with those, those guys and, and going to the Final Fours and conference championships and all of that. But then just having that, those relationships and friendships still to this day has been um, probably the best, the best experience coming from basketball playing at Guilford. Might we see uh, any of those former players on the sidelines with you? I wish, man. Uh, Rhett, he uh, he's at Rice right now as right. Uh, director of operations, and then Clay, he coaches at a high school nearby for him, actually, only about thirty minutes away. So I've been able to reconnect with him more. Um, but those guys, you know, have, having them as uh, resources to me uh, when I'm because Clay's a head coach at a high school here, so it's been good to get you know his his thoughts on you know ways to build a program, and then Rhett, I mean, he always has some great insight whatever I'm going through. Um, I've leaned on them heavily during this transition. Um, they've been they've been great friends, obviously, but also great mentors and 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 help and you know guys that I can really depend on when it comes to making decisions and and figuring things out um, within my own program. So it's been great. Personally, I'd love to see Ben Strong join you just just for the image of it all. Two huge tall guys <laughs> yeah, standing on the sidelines. I spoke to Ben this morning. Oh, did you? Yeah, he's down at Huntington with Caleb. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not. Um, He's an assistant coach there, so he uh, he's actually doing quite well with them. Um, Caleb uh, hired him as his assistant last year, so um, I know he really enjoys it. Uh, he's working hard at it, and Caleb says he's doing a great job. That, that does sound familiar to me now. Of course, I vividly remember the great all-star game that you played in where you passed it to your teammate who wasn't actually your teammate in that game. On an yeah, inbound pass. Down the three. Yeah, <laughs> and then he nailed a three. That was great. <laughs> hey, well, Tyler, appreciate you taking the time here in the preseason to, to join us. Uh, good luck with the season ahead and obviously transitioning in as a head coach here at Ferrum and then eventually transitioning into the ODAC, bringing the school along with you. Um, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? No, I, I appreciate you having me on. This is uh, this is great for, for our program, and it, it, we're going to try to get, you know, some more uh, notoriety and publicity, but you know, this, having this opportunity is, is awesome. We appreciate what you do for, for Division Three Hoops. Well, thank you. Good luck, and appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Dave. Tyler Sanborn joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, the former two-time All-American, now head coach of Ferrum. We'll see how they do this season. And thanks to Tyler Sanborn as well for joining us on this podcast. We appreciate him taking the time. These three gentlemen, McHugh, Hopkins, and Sanborn, not the only young coaches to take over programs in either men's or women's basketball. Our next podcast next week, we'll talk to another one, Kent Dernbach, who has taken over the lacrosse program after being at Stevens Point for several years, including basically as head coach the last half of last season. Also talk to John Carroll's Pete Moran. You remember that he's taking over the program from his father, so we'll talk to him about that dynamic and how that has mean, though, one may argue Pete may be a little older than the rest of these guys for a lot of different reasons. Also talk to UW Superior's Greg Polkowski, who's taking over his alma mater as well, but in a different situation. He had a lot of twists and turns. That's all ahead in our next podcast. It doesn't mean we've forgotten anybody. There's lots of other people to talk to. This is just what we were able to put together for podcasts. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll certainly be talking to more coaches as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. Our First official show for Hoopsville once again will debut on Thursday, November 16th, the day after the season officially gets underway. 
Before we go with today's podcast, we do want to take an opportunity to thank those who have helped us put on Hoopsville for a number of years. Yes, we get coaches on air and we thank them for making appearances. We thank the student-athletes for coming on as well. This week, November 6th through the 12th, is the second annual COSIDA Membership Recognition Week, better known as Thank Your SID. COSIDA is the College Sports Information Directors of America, and the Sports Information Directors or Athletic Communication Directors are, have an integral role in how we put hoops on the air. There isn't a coach or guest of any kind who appears on this show that somehow a sports information director didn't have some hand in helping us do it. We email sports information directors to see if coaches or student athletes are available. We then work with them on whether it's a phone interview or a video interview. They provide content for us, whether it's information we aren't even aware of or helping us with other details. They send us pictures so we can use them in promotions. Some even send us video that we can use in shows sometimes. There's a litany of ways that sports information directors help us. And we always thank them, certainly, behind the scenes. And we try and mention them on the air. Seems appropriate that it is uh, Thank Your SID Week or, or COSIDA Membership Recognition Week that we take the opportunity on this pa- podcast to thank SIDs on the whole. There's no way I can thank every single SID out there who has been integral in this show. But let me give you a couple examples uh, of SIDs that have done some other things for us. Sean King last year at Washington and Jefferson came up with a really cool fundraising idea where he decided how much money would be donated to Hoopsville based on his players hitting three-pointers in men's and women's basketball. He didn't tell them that, so they didn't jack up shots. But he took note of it, and for every shot, he gave X amount of dollars, and and that ended up being a contribution. That was his idea. He wanted to thank us. Well, I want to thank him for that idea. It certainly meant a lot to us. Back when we first did the fundraiser a few years ago, Rusty Egan at WPI came up with a cool idea. We put up a special fundraising level that included getting the chance to go to Cottage Burgers in Boston and getting uh, an opportunity to get a meal there, basically, if you donated enough. Rusty helped coordinate that with the head coach at men's basketball, Coach Bartley, whose brother runs that incredible burger joint. And I say incredible, it's all on word of mouth. I have still yet to get there. My travels don't tend to take me inside Boston, but that will change soon. So there's a couple ways where the SIDs have helped us in, in different ways than the status quo. I also uh, want to thank a group of SIDs. There's going to be some news in the future about um, my role on some things, and it's all because of a, a group of SIDs led by Jeff Bernstein at, at NYU, but also J.J. Nekoloff at the ODAC, Chris Mitchell at Wash U, Lenny Reich at Mount Union, Mark Adkins at Manchester, Stacey Corey Ledoux at Brockport. If I'm missing any from that group, I apologize. But that core group led by Jeff Bernstein had a brainstorm and an idea. They came to me about that. I certainly said yes. It's now coming to fruition. We'll talk more about that. But not for that core group. I don't get this opportunity, so I want to thank them for that. But also for that core group, Division Three doesn't get a, a bigger voice in something. Again, we'll talk more about that. So there's another example of where we can thank sports information directors. There's also sports information directors who do more than just that. Talk about Sam Atkinson, who's on the National Men's Basketball Committee as a representative. David Petroff is a national representative, I think, or at least he's on the rack in the central region in women's basketball. These men and women do other things. I can name you a lot of other sports information directors who are admins on racks or on national committees. Dedicating more time than they already give themselves to this job. It's a thankless job. It's full of hours. I've looked to doing the job myself and in some ways thankful that I didn't get the opportunity. At the same time, I had the opportunity when I was in college to work in a sports information office. I'm going on and on about this, but that is the core of a sports department at a college If you get an opportunity, having heard this podcast, to go thank your SID or go on on social media and use the hashtag thank your SID, please do so. These men and women certainly deserve everybody's thanks uh, for the work that they do. Sometimes thankless, sometimes uh, frustratingly so. They still do a pretty top-notch job. And again, Hoopsville can't be as successful if it wasn't embraced by not only the coaches at the NABC and the WBCA and even the administrators at the NCAA, but especially sports information directors at all the member schools in Division Three. So I thank, take this time to thank them, and I thank an SID for reminding me about that as well. So we have one more podcast before the season comes up that will come up next week. We've told you the guests. We look forward to hopefully having you join us for that as well. These podcasts seem to be pretty popular. We'll look at doing even more maybe in the offseason next year as well. With that in mind, we hope you follow us on on our social media channels at D3Hoopsville for both 
Twitter and Instagram, of course, hashtag Hoopsville. And you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Email us anytime you want at Hoopsville at d3hoops.com. Look forward to the fourth podcast of this preseason coming out early next week before the season gets underway. And then join us on Thursday, the 16th of November. We hopefully will be talking to both preseason number one ranked teams, among other guests, as we get the season officially underway, which should be an exciting one, to say the least. Thanks to our guests today. Thanks to their sports information directors for helping us put today's show on the air as well. We'll look forward to seeing you back here next week. Copyrighted broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.